Hey, good morning. Hey, man, we are really glad that all of you are here today. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor here, and glad that you are worshiping with us, whether you're here in the room or you're here online. It uh, continues to be a, a crazy season over these last few months, and it just, you know, just a lot of weirdness and ambiguity and just a lot of fear, and it is just great to be able to come together. Again, whether we can all be in the same room or not, to be able to come together and remind ourselves and refresh ourselves with, with worship and connection with God and to hear from His Word. And so, really glad all of you are here. We will start Christmas next week, and you're like, you're looking at me, the stage behind me, you're like, bro, we've already started Christmas. We'll start the Christmas series next week, but we are finishing up our series in Jacob this week, and then we'll start Christmas over the next few weeks. And... Um, this year, again, things that just were supposed to happen, didn't happen or whatever, this year would have been, uh, the, I guess, it, it would have been our 30th high school reunion. It's easy for me to always remember what the years are because I graduated in the 90s. So if it's a zero and a five, you're good. It's, I have the, it's very, very, very simple math. And so this would have been our 30th year reunion, but obviously we didn't have one. And I want to confess something to all of you is that I have managed to avoid all of my high school reunions. Every one of them. We didn't really, I don't think we had a five. And when we had our 10-year reunion, it happened to be at the time when we were moving from, from Conway, where we lived, to go to school and seminary in Colorado. So I, I missed that one. And our 20-year reunion was when we were moving from Cabot to up here, and it just, just didn't quite work. Our 25th reunion, which was five years ago, I have no excuse for. Why did you not go? I didn't want to go. And there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, I could, I could, I could, I could put a lot of layers on it. I could give you a lot of different reasons and things why I wouldn't. My, you know, it's not like I'm thinking, I'm like, man, I, I can't wait to get back to my hometown Right, I mean, my hometown. I mean, I'm not going to just. I mean, if we weren't on the internet, maybe we could, we could, we could talk a little bit more about all of that. But really, what it comes down to is, I wasn't a nice person in high school. I wasn't. Bully is not the right word because if I say bully, you would you think physically aggressive. I was not physically aggressive with anybody. Punk might be a better word, though it's not very descriptive. My um, our chemistry teacher referred to me as our friends as uh, intellectual snobs. And we didn't know what he meant by it. We just knew we were offended by it. And so we bullied him about it. And so um, as looking back on it, again, 30 years ago, he had us pegged. We just thought we were smarter and better than everybody. And, then, and again, a lot of us, even though we were the smart ones were also on the basketball team. And so we just kind of thought we were better than everyone. And we carried ourselves as if we were better than everyone and treated people as if we were better than everyone. And I, I, I look back, there's, there's very few things I look back to in high school and I think, man, I want to re- relive those moments and I want to relive those moments with the people that I lived with them through. 
I just, I just feel like, I don't know, I mean, this, is, this, is not a, this is not a great reference because it just, it's just not. And I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Billy Madison. You shouldn't. It's terrible. It's bad. I'm a pastor. Don't see these kinds of movies, right? But, but Adam Sandler plays this guy who has to go back to school because essentially he finds out his dad just paid for him to graduate. And he's in high school. He realizes as he's going through these school, people start to bully him. And he realizes he was a bully. And he starts to make this list of all of the people that he needs to go back and apologize to. And I think that would be me. Like if I ever went back, I would have to carry this list around with me and then I'd look at name tags and be like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And I don't really want to do that. Because the reality of it is this, and this is kind of where we'll start today is that facing your past, facing your past is hard. When you look back at your past and you look at the things that you've done and who you were and the mistakes that you've made and the sin that you have done and the people that you have hurt, and you look back on it and you think, man, I'm going to have to be confronted with this, it's difficult. Most of us, as we look at kind of who we have been or what we have done, the easiest and best things we, we, we tend to do is we want to run from our problems. We want to run. We want to avoid. We want to make sure that, no, you know, that I don't ever have to think about it again. If I do something dumb, I don't want to think about it again. If I hurt somebody, I don't think about it again. I don't, I, I, I don't, want, I don't want to face it. And our story here with Jacob, and if you've, if you've not been here for the last few weeks, or if you have, you need a refresher, it starts with him. He was a, he was a twin, and when he was born, the oldest one, older one Esau came out first, and Jacob came out right after him, and his hand was holding onto his heel. And so they named him the one who holds on to the heel. The problem is, is that is a, a, a euphemism for being a deceiver, for being a trickster. And so essentially they named Jacob Deceiver. And so for his whole life, as people are just calling and trying to get his attention... They say, deceiver, and then you turn and go, yes? And for years and years of your life, this is built into him. And he then becomes, and when we kind of enter kind of them a little bit later, we, we, the first time we really experience Jacob, we see he has grown into his name. And we see two, two stories kind of back to back where he essentially steals from his older brother Esau. He essentially... When in, in a moment of weakness of Esau and, and hunger, he basically forces Esau to sell him his birthright, which meant the, the, the larger share of the inheritance. And then Esau was angry and fuming at him. And then as their dad was about to die, um, Esau is supposed to get a blessing from his dad, and Esau sends him out, J, uh, their, their dad Isaac sends Esau out to kind of prepare this meal for him so then he can come back and bless him. Well, Jacob and his mom come up with this plan to trick the dad into blessing Jacob as well, instead of Esau. And so he's stolen his birthright, he's stolen his blessing, and Esau says, I'm going to kill you when dad dies. And so, again, rather than facing his problem at that point, his mom, his mom and Jacob come up with the thing that we would all do. You run from your past. You run from your mistakes. And he goes and hides essentially living with some extended family in another part of the world. 
And then what happens is, again, it was like we've, we've got this guy, the deceiver, and he's making all of these terrible decisions. He makes some terrible decisions. He destroys his family. And his first thing he decides to do is run. And then what does he do? Well, you know, when you run from your problems, you, you take them with you. I mean, they're in the bag next, in, in all of the clothes. When you, 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 you can't run from your problems because you are the problem. And when you run from your problem, you're still there. And so what he does now with his new family, he, he, he destroys that family too. He falls in love with this woman, then he gets tricked by her dad, and he gives him uh, a different wife instead. And that was a really weird story. But, and rather than just taking the loss, Jacob says, I want the other wife too. And so he marries rival sisters which is a terrible idea. And then they get into this competition about who can give him the most babies. And so then they start saying, here, why don't you sleep with my servant too? And so now essentially he's got four wives and all of these kids and his family is completely out of control because of all this rivalry and hatred and division. He was, they were selling him, the wives were selling him for sex. I mean, it was just, it was awful. And in the meanwhile, he's working for his uncle. And they are trying to out-trick and out-deceive each other in tricking like who gets, what, who gets what cattle and who gets what sheep. And they are manipulating and hurting each other up until the point to where Jacob realizes he has burnt another bridge. So he's got, this, he's got his family he grew up with and he destroyed that through deception. And now through passivity, passivity, more deception, and just downright idiocy, he has now destroyed this family. And so now he is stuck between two very, very bad places. You know, you say you know, when you leave someplace, you don't want to burn a bridge. This man is stuck now in no man's land, and he only has burned bridges on both sides. And he's got nowhere to go. He's got nothing to do except to go back to where he came from. And so now, whether he wants to or not, he now has to face his past. And, as Mark shared with us last week, he is scared to death. He is scared to death and does not know what to do. And if I tell you right now that you are going to have to face the consequences and the people of the worst things that you've ever done, and the hurt that you have caused, you would be in a very similar place. But we don't even have to get that extreme. When I say that facing your past is hard, you don't even want to think about your spouse that you hurt and said the ugly thing to yesterday. You don't want to think about the bad decision you made two weeks ago. You don't want to think about the time you lost your temper this morning, and you don't want to have to look back at the people that you have very recently hurt and said, I saw that I did that, and I am sorry. And so what we do is we do what Jacob did. We run from our problems, but then we bring them with us, and then we repeat it the way that Jacob did. And so now he is on his way back, and finally, he doesn't, 
I would never say that like Jacob just kind of pours his heart out to God and saying, I've done something terrible, will you please come help me? He gets scared. He kind of gets one of these scared prayers of God. But God shows up. And this is the passage that Mark Mark looked at with us last week. God shows up and starts to wrestle with him, like literally wrestling with him. And, and you know, and it's, if, if God's wrestling you, I mean, God could destroy you at any minute, but God's not. They're just kind of, he's just doing it just to kind of keep things even. And then ultimately God, to, to finish it, kind of zaps him in the hip where he, now he can't even really walk well. And, and God, he asks God, before you leave, will you please bless me? And God looks at him and says, listen, I'm going to give you a new name. Your whole life. Your whole life, people have called you deceiver, 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 deceiver. You are no longer the deceiver. I am going to call you Israel. And that means you have wrestled. You're a wrestler. You have wrestled with God. You have wrestled with people. And you have prevailed. It's a really inspirational moment, right? He looks at me. You're the wrestler because you've wrestled and you've prevailed. And I look at that and I think, what has he prevailed? What has he done? We, you know, he, 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 he grieved his dad on his deathbed and, you know, angered his brother to the point he wanted to kill him. He was totally manipulated by and with his mom. He, he's, he's now got four wives that all hate each other and probably hate him. And, and he's, he's running away from his boss slash uncle he hasn't prevailed at anything. He, he's not a... Re- he's, I mean, he's, he's not, why would you say that? This guy has not been... He's not been good. We've not had one story. We're now five weeks in. We've not had one story. Was like, and, and that, boys and girls, is why you should be like Jacob. We've not had one moment like that. We haven't even had half a moment. But yet God speaks this powerfully over him. You have wrestled and prevailed. And if you are familiar at all with kind of the arc of Bible stories, or maybe the story in your own life, I'm in this terrible place, I've made all these terrible decisions, I'm sinful, I've hurt people, and then I have this encounter with God. Moses has this encounter with God with this burning bush after being essentially alone in the wilderness, after murdering somebody. And he has this encounter, and then he becomes, he becomes Moses, the one who leads his people out of Israel. We have Paul, who was complicit in the murder of Stephen and was arresting Christians as fast and as quickly as he could. He has this face-to-face encounter with Jesus, with this bright light, and he's blinded, and, and he changes everything and becomes the greatest Christian missionary the world has ever known. We've got Jacob, this this, this deceiver who is burning bridges and hurting the people that he supposedly loves, his brother, his mom, his his dad, his uncle, his father-in-law, his his wives. And now he has this face-to-face encounter with God. What's going to happen? I think we're being set up here to believe that something incredible is going to happen but actually, I think we're going to be a little bit disappointed. Because the first thing that Jacob tries to do with this, and Mark kind of touched on this last week as well, is that Jacob tries to buy his way out. 
He tried to buy his way out. I've got to face my problems. I'm I'm wrestling with who I am and who I was. I'm going to become this new person. And the first thing that he does is he tries to buy his way out of his problems. He essentially sends his brother a bribe. Here's like a lot of sheep and goats and cows and, and everything. Here's my stuff. Again, I just want to make sure we notice this. There was never an apology note attached. Man, I am sorry that I tried to steal everything from you and that I wrecked our family and kind of just like undid us for generations and generations to come. I'm really sorry about that. He just sends him stuff. Here's, a, here's some gifts. Not an I'm sorry gift, just gifts. And you, and you know you do that, right? You, you do this all the time. You do this where you hurt your spouse you're really mean, you lose your temper, and the thing that you don't do and the thing that you don't say is you don't go back to them and say, man, I'm really sorry for what I did. I know that that was hurtful. I shouldn't have done it. You just start randomly being nice. And depending on what, what, what is considered nice and helpful and depending on the relationship you have with your spouse, maybe you're just going to, all of a sudden, you're just going to start randomly being really flirty, Maybe you're going to start, I, I think I may just start folding these clothes. I may just start doing these dishes. I'm just going to start randomly complimenting you. I'm just going to start being weirdly nice. I lose my temper. I'm a jerk. I'm a punk. I'm hurtful in some way. And then suddenly in one moment, now I'm being nice. And for a lot of us, we would call that an apology. But you know what it's not? An apology. It is you trying to bribe your way out of trouble without ever really having to admit that you did the thing. I'm never having to look anybody in the eye. I'm never having to say that I'm sorry. I'm never having to do anything really close to repentance. I just start being nice. I start being kind. I start being helpful. I start just smiling and saying weird things and just being awkward, hoping that you'll just drop it. And we can just kind of have this mutual understanding that I'm sorry without ever having to really say it. We continue on in the story, Genesis chapter 33, verse 1. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. Can we just stop there for just a second? Can we just pause? I I just want you to notice something. When you're reading a Bible story, sometimes I think that what you do is you read a Bible story and you think, that's weird, and you just assume Bible is weird and you just keep going. When you see something weird, you should stop and be like, that's weird. Because the way that most of these stories are written, they're designed to make you stop and think, what is that? So let's stop here for a second. And we've got Jacob. And again, what we're about to do is completely deconstruct the Sunday school version of, story, version of the story that I was told where this kind of ends with Jacob and Esau happy and hugging, and Jacob was sorry, and now they're friends again forever. 
Jacob has finally changed. He's had this wrestling encounter with God. He is now no longer the deceiver. He's the wrestler and he's prevailing. And the first thing that he does is, oh man, Esau might be trying to kill us, so he's not trusting God. And second, he's like, okay, if he's going to kill us, let's put my wives and kids in order of most I would be willing to die. Okay, so the slaves and those kids, they can die first. And then my ugly wife and her kids, they go next. And then my pretty wife, the one that I love, and her kid, they'll be last. And I'll, and, and, and that, way, th- that way, you know, maybe the people that I really care about um, will survive. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, like, this is your dad. And your dad is kind of saying, okay, bud, okay, you and mom, y'all are going to be here at the front. And then, and then all of a sudden, he, he, they're just kind of making layers. And you kind, of, you kind of look around and you kind of figure out, I, th- I think I know what's going on. We're the one that's supposed to get killed first. And it is your dad that has sorted you this way. So this is kind of, it's kind of where we are. All right, so verse 3, he, Jacob, he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. <clears throat> but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Verse 8, Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? So in just case you're wondering, if Esau understood that Jacob was sending these flocks and herds as an apology, he didn't. The note of apology did not make it with him. All of a sudden, Esau's minding his own business and is like, what are these sheep? Well, they're from your brother, but, but, but why? And so he gives him, he's like, why, why are you doing this? Again, so there's no apology. And in this face-to-face, we don't see any, we don't see any sorry, just fear, just cowardice. To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that I was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Did you hear the apology? Then Esau said, let us be on our way, I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children and come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that, Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So they're all together now. And, and Esau's like, I'm so glad you're here. You're going to come on home. Let's all go home together. And Jacob says, and we're going to try to believe the best in him right now. He says, well, I mean, the kids are tired and, 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 and the cows have babies. And, and, and we just, we're just going to have to move very, very slowly. Again, if you've paid attention to this, you don't trust anything this guy said, but we'll try to maybe try to give him the benefit of the doubt here. 
And Esau's like, well, okay, that's great. Let me leave some of my men here and they can help you. Oh, don't worry about that. We'll just, you guys go on back and we'll just meet you back home, but we'll just go slow. And again, the Sunday school version is so great. They hugged, they kissed, he accepted the gift, and now they're going to go back home together. And this is so awesome. And this is so sweet. Verse 16. So that day, Esau started on his way back to Seir, and Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That's why it's called Succoth. He didn't follow him home. Esau went this way. He said, we'll be right behind you. And he went this way. And we never have any indication that they ever talked again. When facing his past, he tried to bribe his way out of it. He tried, he tried to hide. And then when he finally gets face to face with the person that he has hurt and has damaged and essentially tried to take everything from, what happens with Esau, and we need to make sure we understand this, Esau is the hero in this story. He had every right to still be angry. There is no court of that time, of any type, that would have convicted him of any crime had he murdered Jacob right there where he sat. Hey, Jacob, stab, stab, stab. Jacob's dead. I take all your stuff. And everybody went like, hey, well, that makes sense. It would have been perfectly fine. But he doesn't. He weeps. He cries. Why are you giving me this stuff? And hug and love. Essentially, without Jacob even really being sorry, Esau embraces him, forgives him, and loves him as a brother. And Jacob, when faced with forgiveness, he ran. He could not stand the idea that he had been forgiven by Esau. But every, everything's okay now. Jacob has forgiven, Esau's forgiven you, Jacob. Now you guys can be a family again. But the heart of the deceiver is still there. What would a deceiver think is happening in this moment? He's waiting until me and my family and my cattle and everything are close. He wants us all to get home and then he's going to kill me. Because people don't do that. People aren't forgiving. People aren't kind. There isn't really such a thing as forgiveness. There really isn't such a thing as restoration. And I've got to keep doing on loop the same destructive things I've done my whole life. So rather than embracing the forgiveness that Esau has given him, he runs again. And I've got some interesting news for you here. This is essentially the end of the story. There is, of course, a Genesis chapter 34, 35, 36, 37, lots of chapters. But essentially what's going to happen next is that Jacob's sons are about to become the main characters in a new story. And what we're going to see for the next few chapters is the, just the destruction that Jacob has brought on his own family and how all of his sons seem to have gotten the message 
about how you're supposed to live and how you're supposed to treat people and who you're supposed to be. And then we move into the story of Joseph, which is a great story. It's a cool story. We did this a couple of years ago. And Joseph actually does some things pretty cool. He's able to kind of turn a few things around and bring, and, and bring help to the family. And we see Jacob every now and then kind of enter into these stories as a minor character. And every time he does something stupid again. Every time. And as Mark told us last week, this is the guy that God chose to name his people after. The wrestlers. And I think there's something missing in this story. And like I said, when something seems weird in a story, something's missing, something's wrong, something's off, we're supposed to pause and say, what is God getting at here? Because this is unsatisfying. It feels scary. It feels weird. It feels a little bit hopeless. Because if we're supposed to be identifying with this guy, and God is wanting us to identify with this guy because he's naming his people after him, there's something wrong and scary and weird about this story. It, It doesn't leave for a lot of hope. But there's a whisper in this story. And I'll say it this way. The deceiver that became the wrestler needs the redeemer. You walk away from this and saying, there is something else that he needs. And he just can't seem to get it right on his own. He needs something. And that something is Jesus. And you think, man, why do you bring Jesus into this? I mean, like, I'm not a Bible expert, but that's like thousands of years in the future. I mean, this is the same storyteller. This is a God who is telling one really, really big story. And he is putting it in the minds of his people right now that left to your own and your own best decisions, you are going to continue to follow the same repeated patterns unless someone comes in and saves you. And so this whisper in Genesis is just going to get louder and louder. It's going to get a little bit louder when Moses introduces the sacrifices in Exodus and Leviticus. It's going, to get, it's going to get louder as the prophets begin to talk. And it's going to get louder and louder and louder all the way up until we meet Jesus himself. And I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to get too carried away here. But there is, there's, there's an image here of Jesus and Esau. He comes, Jacob comes to him and he gives him complete and total forgiveness and says, come and be a family. Let us be a family again. You were gone, you ran away and now you're back and I forgive you and let's be a family. Is the invitation, that is the invitation that Jesus is offering to you. You've been gone, now you're back. I'll forgive you. Let's be a family. And Jacob ran. Don't run. You have been a deceiver. You are currently wrestling. And the God of the universe says, I'm so glad you're here. I would love to forgive you. 
and be a family again and you humble yourself and you say, I am sorry. And that Jesus forgives you and gives you life and makes you a part of his family forever. This is what Jacob needed. This is what the Israelites who were hearing this story as Moses is writing it down and telling it to them. This is what they need. And thousands of years later, as we are hearing it, that is what we need as well. Let me pray.